The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening, Lloyd. Well, here we are in beautiful Newport Beach, and we're having a field interview with wonderful, collaborative law coaches and attorneys, financial people. It's terrific. They're all sitting here on the boat on a beautiful afternoon, and we're going to be talking about collaborative law, and I want to introduce the experts that are sitting here with me, looking happy and a little worried. And first on my left here is John Denny, and he is an associate. He's an attorney at Minyard Morris LP, and he graduated from the University of California, Los Angeles. He's a member of the Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County and the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals. And he limits his practice to family law, mediation, and collaborative law. So we're first happy to have John, our only gentleman of the day. So I actually put him first. And we also have Carol Hughes to his left. And she has been a licensed marriage, family, and child therapist and a state of California board certified clinical hypnotherapist for 25 years. And she is very active in the field of holistic psychotherapy, family therapy, child and adolescent behavior, co-parenting, and dealing with addictive disorders. And she is very involved in the collaborative law coaching herself. And then over here on my right, we have Sherry, another attorney, and that is uh, Sherry D'Anthony, who's a collaborative divorce attorney. And she is also a mediator in Orange County, and she's a family law specialist. She has over 20 years of experience in family law, and she strives to work with her clients to reach mutually agreeable resolutions in family law issues. So she's terrific, too. She's also part of the family law and the collaborative law uh, program here. And then we have Tracy Tracy McKenney, and she's a certified financial planner and certified divorce financial analyst. And she's been working with divorcing couples and collaborative divorce for the past three years. And she started her financial planning practice back in 2003. And she's very involved in collaborative divorce cases as well. And then we have last but not least, we have Bev Jewell. And she is a collaborative divorce coach. And she received her master's degree in counseling psychology from National University in Irvine in 1995. And she's a nationally certified professional counselor and mediator. Her offices are in Tustin and Palm Springs. And she's very involved as well as a divorce coach with Collaborative Divorce Solutions in Orange County. She's been doing that since 2003. So I want to welcome everybody from the Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County. Thank you for joining us tonight. And let's find out a lot about collaborative law. If you're listening and you don't know what collaborative law, we're going to explain it to you and see how you might be involved in it. So, John, can we start out with you? And why don't you explain to my audience, what is collaborative law? Sure, Mari, and thank you for having us to your boat here today. 
Collaborative law, particularly collaborative divorce, which is what we all do here, is an alternative to litigation. It's a different way for people to get divorced. People who may not want to go through the court system, people who may not want their divorce uh, more public than it might otherwise be, and people who may want a more peaceful solution to their divorce case. Okay. And tell us how collaborative lawyer, lawyers are trained. And there's something very special about their commitment to resolution, which is very different from litigation lawyers. Why don't you tell my audience that? Because they may not be aware of that. We are trained in, in several different ways. Obviously, those of us who are lawyers are trained in the law. Sherry and I here are both certified uh divorce specialists, certified family law specialists. Uh, the divorce coaches are trained in, in those things and the financial specialists as well. We all go through special training which allows us to become members of Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County. The training is a 20-hour training uh, that is given in various places across the country and we all also go through mediation training. Uh, the collaborative process has a lot of lot in common with mediation uh, in that we are trying to help people work out their own solutions. So we're trained A in the law and then B in our process. Sherry, what kind of an agreement do people have to sign that with their attorneys that's very different from when they get a litigation lawyer? Well, they signed what's called a collaborative commitment agreement. And in that agreement, they agree to cooperate with the process. They agree to keep the information confidential within the group. They agree to uh, work in a cooperative manner to come to a mutually agreeable resolution. They also commit to not going into the court system and they also agree that if they decide that the collaborative process is breaking down that they cannot use any of the information that they acquired during the collaborative process. Right and so the attorneys who agree up front cannot litigate later if the parties decide that they want to go to court, That's correct? That's correct, Mari. Also in the agreement, the, the attorneys agree that they will not represent the parties in the litigation process. Right. So this really promotes problem solving. Well, it promotes the commitment and the attitude that these people are going to work to the best of their ability to come up with a resolution rather than uh, having the whole, whole process basically uh, uh, gone down the tubes without having any result if they decide that they don't want to be in the collaborative process and move into the court arena. Right. So Bev, tell us, what is the role of the mental health coach? Um, what the coaches do, there is a coach for the wife and the husband. Um, our process is really to help them with uh, containing the strong emotions that occur during divorce. Um, as you know, it's one of the most stressful times that people go through next to the death of a loved one. So there's going to be a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of, in some cases, anger and bitterness that needs to be contained in some way. And we're there to help the couple manage those feelings so that that doesn't get in the way of the process. And we also help them with communication skills in a healthy way, problem solving, we're there in the background, and we're there stepping forward whenever they need us. And you're there to help deflect conflict if it starts to raise exactly. its ugly head. Yeah. <laughs> How about the kids? So, Carol, you, you, what do you do uh, with children in the collaborative divorce? How, how does your role take place? Well, Mari, what I am most excited about in this process is working with children because the children are brought into this process via the child specialist, meaning that the child specialist is the voice of the children in the process. And what the child specialist does, what I do, is I meet with the parents together and individually, as well as meeting with the children and the parents, and the children separately, and sometimes the children with their siblings, to get a sense of what's happening with the children, what do they need to know, questions answered. It's a safe place for the children to talk about their feelings, ask questions that they might be afraid to ask their parents, and just generally bring the children along in a process that really does involve them, but is overlooked in the other 
processes of divorce. They often get lost, don't they, the children? Absolutely. We're talking with Tracy McKinney now, who is the financial specialist. Tracy, there is a lot going on in finances when people divorce or even a partnership disillusion, any kind of business disillusion. The, the finances are a huge and scary issue. So what does the um, what do you do as a financial specialist in, collab- in the collaborative process? Well, thanks for asking. Um, as the financial specialist, we work with the couple as a neutral. I'm not favoring the husband or the wife. Um, and contrast it to a litigation case where the wife takes all of the financial information to her attorney, the husband takes all the information to his attorney, and they're duplicating the effort to try to get to settlement on all the property issues. In this process, they both come to me and I work with them on documenting all the assets and the debts, their income and expenses, and all the things that are going to be required for the court declaration forms. And then we work together in coming up with solutions on fair and equitable equitable ways to split their property. So what about if there's a business involved or a law firm involved or let's say that, um, you know, there's something, a big, you know, uh, 401k. How do you deal with that? Good question. Um, Whether you're litigating or you're in collaborative, most of the times the business is going to get valued. And we need to know what is the value of the business and how are they going to divide it? Is one going to buy out the other? So there's a lot of options, but we need to know, you know, what is the value of that business. For example, also if there's 401ks, pensions, investment accounts, um, there might be property, commercial property, rental property, all of those things have to be defined. Um, and then we decide with the couple, it's really their choice and their decision on how they want to divide those assets. So Sherry, you know, one of the things that we talk about on this program is privacy and confidentiality. You know, we're losing our privacy in the information age. So tell us about how the collaborative process helps to keep information confidential compared with going through the regular litigation process. Well, I've been a a family law attorney for approximately 21 years. And in those 21 years, I've litigated numerous cases. And especially in custody cases, it seems as if people want to put the worst information out about the other parent. And in the court, it's in the courtroom, and people are testifying in an open courtroom about the horrible things the other person has done throughout the marriage and how that's going to impact the custody of their children. In a collaborative setting, all those issues are contained within the collaborative group and that's within the collaborative team and those issues are dealt with in a private manner and that's why we have the the uh, child center specialists and the coaches because the child center specialists can work with both parties to resolve the issue of custody and try to work out a parenting plan therefore the issues of the mudslinging and the name calling is uh, not apparent it i'm sure it happens but it's not in the public arena. As far as the financial issues, um, in a litigated case, uh, a lot of the financial information is put in the court documents and submitted to the court, especially if there's a mandatory settlement conference. Some of those papers are included in the court documents. Now, in collaborative case, those all those records are kept confidential within the collaborative team. And uh, those, uh, like, bank accounts and uh, income information is somewhat confidential and kept private within the collaborative. So it maintains the confidentiality and the privacy of the individuals, much more so than in a litigated case. All right. You know, we've had uh, major litigation cases like the supermarket mogul who couldn't keep his finances and out of out of the court. And so this is this becomes public record and anybody can look it up. So that's one of the beauties of mediation and collaborative law. So, John, you do both mediation and collaborative law, so let's help our audience understand the difference between mediation and collaborative law. We talked about the difference between litigation and collaborative law. Well, Mari, mediation is generally a process where two clients will come to me without lawyers and ask me as a neutral to help them negotiate a settlement to their various issues in their divorce. Uh, And it works very well for some people. However, 
occasionally you'll get a situation where one of the parties is more sophisticated, say, in financial matters, and or one of the parties in the marriage has been a bully toward the other party. Oftentimes when you get these situations, they can replicate themselves in the mediation. If a person's been a bully in the marriage, uh, that person might be a bully in the mediation. And if the other person has become accustomed to kowtowing to the bully, then that can also manifest itself in the mediation. So in those cases, or in the case where, say, one party knows all about the finances and the other party doesn't know much, that party with more information is in a position in a mediation to take advantage of the other party because the other party doesn't have professional help. So what we've done in collaborative law is create a team, the team where each of them have an attorney, uh, whether there's a neutral financial professional, where there's coaches on both sides, where the person who may be subject to the bullying uh, has a coach to help him or her uh, learn how to respond better. And the bully has a coach to help him or her learn what he or she is doing and identify that. I think one of the great things about collaborative law is the way coaches can work with the parties with respect to their communication. As we all know, oftentimes in a marriage, communication can break down. I can communicate a fact to you in one of three ways. I can communicate it very neutrally to you. I can communicate it in a way that will bring a smile to your face. And I can communicate it in a way that will yank your chain or make you upset about the way I've just said it. Push your button. <laughs> uh, and, and parties, right? in, the parties who are going through a divorce have often broken down their communication to this third pattern. One of the things that coaches help them do is identify these patterns of communication and break them so that we can have a constructive negotiation. So the team setting provides support and a format in which negotiation that might not take place in a, in a mediation case because of the dynamics of the parties can better happen in the collaborative divorce situation. Right. So when we have all these parties together, how do we control the costs? Well. The first impression people have is that collaborative law is going to be expensive. You know, you're having a team approach, so oh my, it must be more expensive. But we've actually found through our research that collaborative law for the same type of case is usually less expensive because you have the right professional doing the right job. Instead of the attorney at the attorney's rate doing all the jobs, the financial job, the emotional containment, as well as the legal job, you're just getting the right person for the job and typically the financial and the coach is less expensive than the attorney. So it's we've been tracking it in Orange County as well as the International Association of Collaborative Professionals have been tracking the, the cost of a total case and the results are very positive. And plus, you, you know, when you consider what the average cost of a litigated case in Orange County, I don't know what it is now, but about even 10 years ago, it was $60,000 was the average cost of a litigated divorce when both parties had an attorney. And I'm sure it's quite a bit more than that now. So in essence, what you're doing is you're deflecting the conflict. You're not having all the subpoenas that you have to have. Everybody uh, volunteers to provide documents, correct? Right. And and so you save a lot of money with that, and you're saving all these court costs and waiting time at court for your attorney. And they're not, you don't have to have your attorneys yelling at each other because they're there to help you be cooperative and your financial planner and your uh, counselors and your child coaches and all that are together. So and Mari, the, the coaches are really key in that, in containing the cost, because conflict causes costs money and causes yes. a lot of additional work to be done. So when there's conflict and the coaches are, you know, giving them the skills to communicate with one another, conflict, you know, goes away and it saves the clients a lot of money. Right. So Bev, you know, some people will say, well, gee, if we're, if we're going through a divorce and we we can't even see each other. We can't even look at each other. Why would we do collaborative divorce? Maybe we just don't even want to see each other. How, how, how's that going to work? I know that that's a concern for a lot of people. Uh, we have people say, I, I just can't even be in the room with him or her. And that's when, uh, as a team, we're there to support each client. So they're not alone through the process, they're not alone in the room with the person before they even come into that type of a setting, into a meeting, 
we've already been working with them behind the scenes and what to do when they're feeling anxious, when to listen, how to speak up for themselves if, if they need to, and how to phrase things in a way that won't be um, inciting more emotion. So they may have that concern, um, but they've been trying to work it out themselves without the professionals there to help them. So it'll be a different experience for them. Right, right. So what about, Carol, what about what happens in cu custody battles in the court? And, you know, we hear about it all the time, even the custody battle recently with Michael Jackson's children and, you know, the, the real mother. So what about custody battles? How is it different in collaborative law? Everybody wants to have their children in their lives. Right. Right, Mari. I tell parents that if parents are in conflict, their children are in danger. And the only people who are in charge of changing that dangerous situation for their children are the parents themselves. And to me, that's one of the biggest differences with litigation and collaboration is helping prevent the emotional devastation to children. Having worked in this field for so many years, I see grown children who are now adults who are still struggling with the pain from their parents' litigated divorce. In litigation, children usually feel that they're in a tug of war. They feel that one parent has one arm, the other parent has the other arm, and may as well just split the child in two. And you can imagine what that does emotionally to a child. Um, the other thing that we see in collaboration, which I believe is a great benefit to children, is that the parents maintain the control of the decisions about their children rather than turning over those decisions to a complete stranger in a black robe. Right. And th that is also what happens in mediation as well, is that you're empowering your clients to make good decisions for themselves and their family, just like you're doing in collaborative law, which doesn't always happen in litigation, because in litigation, the judge makes the decision. Or even if you go to arbitrate in a private arbitration, the, that arbitrator will make the decision. So collaborative law and mediation are both very empowering to the clients. If, if, if someone who's listening to this is contemplating divorce, what should they do? How can they find out about this process a little bit more than what we're talking about? Well, um, there's a lot of uh, websites that provide information as to collaborative law. Uh, there's a, you can go to the website in which uh, all the parties participating in this interview today uh, belong, and that's Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County. And there's approximately uh, 30 professionals on that website. There's financial people, there's uh, uh, mental health persons, uh, and attorneys. And uh, they have a profile of each of the, the professionals. They can look at the, the profiles and they can see um, what each of those professionals bring to the collaborative process. Um, one of the things is, is that um, it's international, collaborative law is international. They have the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals. Um, we also have uh, another site is CPCAL, that's cpcal.com. And the Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County, the website is www.cdsoc.com. And uh, going online uh, nowadays with the internet, there's, there's substantial and significant information about the collaborative law process on the internet and on the different websites. So what happens if parties are having a difficulty in making a decision or, or agreeing upon the value of a business, for example? What if there is a big problem with that? Do they actually agree up front that whatever you say they're going to accept? Or what if they're very unhappy with what you determined was the value of the business? H how do you deal with that? Well, first, the clients get to choose who is their business valuator. Um, we have specialists that are certified in business valuation. And then they need to agree what the scope is. How, how detailed is that person going to get? And are we going to do a cash flow analysis? So there's a lot of depth in deciding what amount of work is going to be done. 
And then they both have to agree up front that they're going to accept the business valuator's determination. Otherwise, they're wasting their money. So we come to agreements before any work's even done. So then they can accept that, and then they'll process it and decide how they want to split the business. So in other words, they once they agree who is going to be their, bus- their agreed-upon business evaluator, then at that point, what whatever that person says goes. They cannot then later say, no, we don't agree with this and try and appeal it or whatever. Well, remember, they're coming into the collaborative law process because they want to have a say in their property settlement. Mm-hmm. And so if they decided that they did not like that business valuation, they as a team, as the couple, would have to decide what they're going to do with that. You know, they've agreed up front. Sherry mentioned that there's a collaborative commitment agreement. Mm-hmm. They've agreed up front to be respectful and to help, you know, come to solutions themselves. So they need to decide what they're going to do with that and, and not threaten to go to court if they don't get the business valuation number that they wanted. Okay. So what are the greatest advantages that you see in a collaborative process? Well, what I see in a collab, the, the advantages of a collaborative law process versus a litigation process is that parties are working together to come to a mutually agreeable resolution of their, their divorce case. Uh, by working together, they also come with a mutually agreed, agreeable parenting plan. The plan that works best for them and their children versus something that the court rules, the court decides, and the court doesn't even know their children. So they're able to come up with a workable parenting plan. And if they can work with each other, then the children are benefited and they can work through other issues post-judgment. If issues come up about the children, they can they can come back to the, the team and they can work with the professionals and work out a problem that they have rather than running into the court system. It, and, and, and people going through the collaborative process actually come out respecting each other rather than hating each other, which happens a lot in litigation. So it just has a really positive result. The children are the ones that to truly benefit from it because they have parents that don't hate each other and they are able to love both parents without being uh, having taken sides with one parent versus the other which usually happens or sometimes happen in a litigation matter. Right. When we have a mediated divorce or a collaborative divorce then the parents can then see each other at graduation parties and at weddings and at all sorts of activities that they can go to soccer games and be at the same place without killing each other. And it's really very important for the kids to feel that. And and it really, that kind of energy saves a lot of aggravation for everybody and really helps the kids. So Bev, let me ask you something. If, If you had somebody in counseling with you and they were contemplating divorce and they said to you, Bev, you know, I would really like to do collaborative divorce but my husband absolutely, or my wife absolutely doesn't want to do it. What do you do in that case? Um, I would either suggest that they come in and I could, or over the phone, I could tell them what the process is about so they have the same information as the person that I'm working with, or I would refer them to one of our collaborative attorneys that might actually be a better idea so they're hearing it from someone who they may not see as uh, biased information if I'm working with one spouse. So any of the professionals on the team could provide that information. John, John, you and Sherry both are lawyers and you've been a lawyer a long time. You, you know, over 20 years, me over 20 years, I don't know, you too, probably over 20. I'm over 15. <laughs> over 15. So we've all been doing it long enough to know what it's all about to be a lawyer. and. One of the problems that often can come up is that unless you're dealing with another person who is collaborative, it's kind of hard um, to even talk another attorney to be collaborative with you unless they know the, the the mediation skills and the collaborative skills. And so let's say that you had a um, someone came to you 
and their spouse wanted to do collaborative law but really didn't want to do it with anybody that you had in your list. They wanted to use one of theirs. What would you do? Well, that would be a tough situation, and there's several reasons for that. First, there are other groups other than ours. Uh, there are two or three groups in Los Angeles County. There's a group in San Diego County. So if the person was a member of one of those groups, chances are the person's received similar training to us, and it would work. But one of the reasons why it's tough to work with someone outside your group is your, your group develops protocols for how the case should proceed. And we learn those protocols, and we learn to work with each other within those protocols. Someone from outside the group could read the protocols, I suppose, and, and get up to speed, but would probably not have the collaborative training. We really have to unlearn in collaborative training a lot of what we learn in our litigation practice. Uh, it's not my job in collaborative law to beat up the other side. Uh, it's my job to facilitate a negotiation within an understanding of the legal and factual rights that the parties have so that they can work together. The genius of collaborative law is it's a party-driven process. The parties will come to an agreement when the parties come to an agreement. We want to facilitate that happening as quickly and as peacefully as possible, but sometimes people need a little time to get over certain issues, to come to an understanding of other issues, and to really get to the point where they agree on something. One of our coaches told me uh, something that was very interesting one time. He said, when two people uh, file for divorce in a litigated fashion or in a collaborative case or anything else, often one of them's about a year ahead of the other emotionally. Uh, the one has been thinking about it, uh, has been pondering it for up to a year in their own mind, and the other person often doesn't know anything about it. Or they're just oblivious, right? Exactly. And so when they come to us, we're often dealing with two people who are not at the same point. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of time and some of the coaches work in order to get them to that point where they're more or less on equal footing and can negotiate with each other. And we're trained to recognize that and how to handle it. And the typical litigation attorney is not trained in that. Uh, one of the solutions to that is I'd love to see more of my litigation brethren get trained and for collaborative law to become a more mainstreamed uh, modality for divorce. Uh, and we're hopeful to do that. So, Sherry, you, you've been litigating for a long time. And I know for me, as a mediator, I had to unlearn my litigation skills as well. And you had to unlearn your litigation skills. So how easy is it to, for you to, you're st are you still litigating? I'm, I'm still litigating. And because... Um, a lot of people are not they haven't quite got to the point where they're looking toward collaborative law as as an alternative you know most people go through the divorce process and that's what you know they're used to doing and by this radio uh, interview we're trying to get out to people that collaborative law is really the wave of the future this is the way family law matters should be resolved not in a court system you know, with people working together as a team to get a be the best resolution that they can. We've got a lot of problems with kids these days because of this, the two families and the divorces and things like that. And if we can, uh, you know, go through the collaborative process and let these kids um, have a better, you know, relationship with their parents, even if they are divorced, we're going to have a much better society and we're not having these kids killing other kids and I think we really have to look toward a better approach to dissolution than what we have now. So when people call you up in your office and they're looking for a divorce attorney and they know that you litigate, um, do you try and talk them into collaborative law? I always tell them, you know, the best way to resolve a case is if you and your husband try to work out a reasonable resolution. And there's certain ways to do that. There's the mediation, there's the collaborative format. And I said the least desirable is the litigation format. And um, so we do it, it give them three options, and, you know, it kind of preferring the first two and as a last resort, the litigation format. Right. What happens, Carol, when the parties agree upon a custody agreement and problems arise later after the dissolution is entered? 
what happens then? Are you talking in a litigation? No, I'm talking if they, yeah, in collaborative, let's say they've come up with a good custody agreement that they all liked. And of course, things change. Lives change. People want to move or maybe the kids get older or something happens or mother remarries or father remarries. How do you get involved in post-disillusion issues with the children? Right. Well, Mari, one of the things that the collaborative process teaches the clients is conflict resolution decision making and that the team is available to them post-divorce and we have agreed in our group that whichever door the clients come back to us post-divorce that we trust that that professional will decide whether the whole team needs to be engaged or we start with just let's say the child specialist and the coaches and then of course the clients get to be part of that decision making as well and we also teach parents that divorce is like life and that it's fluid and changing and as the children grow um, sometimes the older kids want to spend more time with one parent over the other and that that flexibility is part of adapting to life and that that's healthy that flexibility is healthy for children and parents so to summarize we do encourage them to come back to the team one door whatever door they feel comfortable with if problems arise down the road for adjustment and they can readjust the decisions on their own with our help right so let me ask you something um bev are you at for example if john and sherry were the two attorneys involved would that would you be at all of those meetings or would you be at some of those meetings how would that work for all of you would you always meet as a team or would you meet sometimes with as the two attorneys and their clients without them right um, the process from beginning to end does happen through a series of meetings but not all of the team members need to be there the first meeting is when everyone is there and that really sets the tone for how the case is going to go it's um, saying we're a team and from there usually the couple will go and work with the coaches on some um, you know uh, the emotional issues they'll also be simultaneously working with the financial professional and the attorneys are always there to step in if there are some legal concerns that come up but they typically will work with different professionals through the process and then once you get to a certain place um, towards the end then all of the members will be there again but not everyone is on the clock at the same time so we reassure them at the beginning um, we have all these team members but we're not all working at the same time it's only when that particular issue is called for with that professional right so Tracy how often do you get involved in those meetings in the very first meeting we're all in attendance and then after that like what Bev just spoke of we will split off and I will be working with the client on their finances so I may have uh, two or three meetings with them depending upon the complexity gathering all of their information um, kind of assessing where each client is at because oftentimes one has more financial knowledge than the other so whatever this couple needs we address that in the financial meetings and then I'm getting everything ready to present it back to the attorneys so then we can start the negotiations so might you meet with the couple without anybody else there during certain meetings correct I might have like I said two to three meetings just with the couple and myself because we're just working on the financials and it's not um, we're not really at that point talking about negotiations and they might be simultaneously meeting with the child specialist to start working on you know the custody plan mm-hmm so we're meeting today on um, a boat in Newport Beach and let me just review if you're just driving by and you're wondering who all these wonderful experts are let me just tell you a little bit again about who we're meeting with first we're we have John Denny here who is an attorney and he is um, with the firm of Minyard Morris LP and he's been practicing over 15 years and he does collaborative law And we're also speaking with Bev Jewell, who is a collaborative divorce coach. 
And she is also, all of these people here are with Collaborative Divorce Solutions in Orange County. And can we just give the uh, website again for that? Sure. It is www.cdsoc.com. Also, if you go to KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, you're going to see the bio of each of these wonderful experts and the websites and the picture that I'm going to be taking in about two minutes here. So you'll get to see who they are. We're also speaking with Carol Hughes, who is a licensed marriage, family, and child therapist. And she's talking to us today about how we have what we call a holistic approach to helping children and families. And then we're also speaking with a Tracy McKenney, who is a certified financial planner and certified divorce analyst. And we are also speaking with another attorney sitting here on my right, and that is Sherry D'Antoni, who is a collaborative divorce attorney, but she's also done litigation and mediation just like John and I do. So we, we all have that problem-solving approach where we want to do what I call solutioneering, which is really a healthy thing to do. We talked about a lot of the advantages of collaborative divorce and mediation, and I think you mentioned, John, about one of the I think only disadvantages that I see at least of mediation and when you've got a bully, you know, and one of the problems that I see in my own practice is when you do get a bully on one side and you as a mediator try to balance the teeter-totter, then the bully thinks that you're being biased to help the the other party not to be bullied. So I think that's one real advantage especially in that kind of a situation for collaborative law. Let's talk about maybe some of the challenges in collaborative law. What what might be a difficulty? Well, you do run into difficulties, obviously. Uh, we are talking about people who are coming to you to get divorced. Uh, so they are not, by definition, at the best point in their lives. Uh, it is our job to help them through those, uh, those issues and to help them come to an agreement. But not everyone's going to agree. Uh, sometimes for emotional reasons, sometimes, you know, there's just not enough to go around and, and one or both of them can't agree to live on half of what they have. Uh, so it's difficult. Some people just demand their day in court and want to go there and be heard by someone wearing a black robe. Uh, They'd rather be right than happy. <laughs> That's what I always say if you want to litigate. Would you rather be right or happy? I would rather be right. <laughs> And you have a lot of those people. Frankly, uh, litigation offers something that we can't promise. At, in litigation, you've got a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. At a certain point, a judge is going to bang a gavel and say, this is your result. We can't promise that. We can only promise to help the two people work together and try and come to a resolution of their issues. Uh, we think if they will do that, uh, they will be more happy, as you just said. Uh, they will be involved in the decision. They can come up with creative decisions that a judge can't come up with. Uh, they know their finances. They know their children. Uh, they can be more creative. Uh, and what I like to think about litigation is two parties sort of pulling on opposite ends of a rope, and it's a tug of war. Uh, if anyone can get 50% plus anything, they've won. Uh, in collaborative divorce, we, ha we can uh, sort of increase that. They are pulling on the same end of the rope. Uh, they don't come to a resolution unless they've agreed. Uh, so it's co sort of a group project. And in the accomplishing of that group project, they acquire skills, as some of these other professionals have talked about today. They get to a point at the end of a collaborative divorce, I believe, where they can resolve difficulties after the divorce, utilizing the skills that they get in the divorce. Right, and and so you've got coaches, you've got your attorney coaches that are empowering you with good legal information. You've got your child coach over there helping them to have the children be better adjusted and know how to deal with mom and dad when mom and dad are having a problem. And you've got your therapist coach to help the parents know how to deal with the opposite spouse 
and as well as the children. And then you got the financial person who's empowering them with good financial information to make good decisions about their their approach going forward, which is which is really the healthiest thing to do. You're empowering the whole family. So I wanted to ask you, though, is there a time that you can resolve some of the issues but not all of them? And if that happens, what do you do? Sherry? Well, it's always better to resolve issues and put them aside. And I think it's, the, the parties, if they can resolve one issue, uh, and I, I think it's like an award. You know, they've, they've accomplished, uh, uh, you know, one one award and then they build on that so it it gives them a good incentive to move on to the next next issue that needs to be resolved so it's like a building block to get the you know get to the end and get everything resolved you know it's like a snowball once you get the snowball rolling it rolls one i know for me in mediation and i'm sure for the rest of you who are participate in mediation when i see that a problem is going to be a challenge i say let's come back to that and you try and get the easiest ones first so everybody feels good, like what you were talking about, Sherry. Once you can say, gee, we, we resolved this issue, like, I don't want to sit here. Okay, let's. that might be the very first issue. What time are we going to meet? Where are we going to meet? Where is everybody going to sit? Who's going to be our financial person? Once you get past those things and people say, gee, you know, I mean, we've been killing each other in this marriage, but, you know, maybe we can work it out. We've been talking all about collaborative divorce, which is really the first place that mediation and collaboration of collaborative law has taken place. But I was recently at the Alliance for Holistic Lawyering in Chicago, and there were a lot of people using collaborative law for civil cases, such as estate planning, such as partnership, partnership dissolution, for, for some business disputes. What about that, Tracy? What about using collaborative law, especially when you're the financial person? How might that be workable in civil ca- other civil cases? There seems to be a growing uh, demand for alternative dispute resolution. And um, for some of those specific issues that you're talking about, um, it's kind of interesting, besides real estate, estate law, some of these other areas, um, we're even uh, seeing prenuptial agreements that are using collaborative law. So instead of an, a, one party having an attorney that creates a, an agreement, they both have attorneys, and they come to that agreement together. So I just think it's so positive, and it can be applied to so many areas of law, so people don't have to have these you know, tremendous, expensive disputes. You know, when I started mediating back in 1985-86, people thought I was meditating, you know. I, I was, there was an article that um, I had in the Daily Journal, and I had some friends of mine call, and they said to me, um, is, are you meditating now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> because the word looks very similar. So I remember in those years, people were looking at it like it was weird, but look at and And that started out in family law and then now you look at it it's in every kind of case and we have retired judges doing mediation so i think collaborative law is kind of at that place where mediation was where it's kind of a new kid on the block and it's starting in family law because family law is a good place that you want to have dispute resolution who needs to you know just dissipate all the community property and who needs to destroy your family just because you're splitting up. What do you think about that, John? Well, I think that's right. I think that uh, collaborative law is a, a mode that can be applied to a lot of different uh, types of disputes. It is literally a dispute resolution modality. So, uh, yeah, we can apply that and do other things. Frankly, uh, myself and Sherry, we're trained family law specialists. We're going to do this in family law, but there's no reason other attorneys can't adapt this process to their areas of the law. Uh, As for how it works in family law, again, I think it works very well when the parties commit to it. And uh, when they come in, they're they're not people, by definition, who are in agreement on a lot of things at that point. But if they can at least agree to try the process and give us a chance, I think we can help them resolve their issues. And I think that would be equally true in a real estate dispute or a, a probate case. Exactly. When you're talking about they don't have to 
be stuck in that process, just like in mediation, you have your collaborative agreement and collaborative commitment agreement and mediation agreement, it's still volunteer. So if they don't like it, which hopefully they will once you guys get them together, but if they don't, they're not forced to stay in the process. That's right. We, we can't force anyone to. They all have their right to resort to the court. If they choose to exercise that right, though, by the contractual agreement that we all sign at the beginning, we as professionals are required to resign from the case, and they have to sign up uh, new professionals to help them in the court. It's frankly uh, one of the uh, things that gives our collaborative process a little bit of teeth. The, par the parties understand that there's an expense involved to not reaching a resolution with their original team. Right, right. Starting all over. And that's, that's hard for people when they've been doing that. They put a lot of emotional energy into it. This show airs at the University of California, Irvine. So we have a lot of students that may hear this. What kind of advice do you have for, and we have a brand new law school too, as you all know. So Sherry, what kind of advice do you have for new attorneys going into the profession of law? What should they consider about mediation and collaborative law? Well, um, I think that, that I really believe that collaborative law is going to be the wave of the future. Litigation is so expensive and it's so stress-driven and it's so emotionally traumatizing to everyone that um, I think that all types of law, partnership law, uh, domestic partnership, you know, the, the new uh, domestic partnership, uh, you know, registered partners, um, it, it works for them as well. Any, any issue dealing with family issues like trust issues, estate issues. Grandparent visitation. Grandparent visitation, employment law, any area oh, of the yes, law. Oh, yes, employment law for that, sure. That deals with the emotional impact because a lot of times in, in employment cases, uh, the people are upset because of the emotional impact it has on them. And that's why I think the collaborative law program would be most important for a lot of civil litigation because people are litigating because you know they're emotionally distraught because of what happened to them so I really believe that it's a wave of the future the court system is so f clogged up with litigation and the cost of litigation is rising dramatically so I would suggest that all the new law students look toward collaborative law as an alternative to the litigation process and get trained in it, you know, and, and learn something about it. Bev, so as a therapist for, for both you and Carol, thinking about students who are going in to learn about being MFCCs at the school or counseling, what would be each of your suggestions about how to get involved in this process when you're taking classes at UCI? Um, I would say if they have, um, once they get out and if they have uh, an interest in, in working in mediation or with families, there are certainly courses they can take for that. Well, I just have to tell you, I teach conflict resolution, mediation, and negotiation at UCI. So we do to have those kinds of classes, but a lot of times, I don't know, when you studied to, to get your uh, degree and be a counselor, did you have to take conflict resolution classes? N not in particular. I took the mediation classes outside of that coursework for the master's level, but within that, of course, you're working with families, you're working with couples, and there's always conflict in those situations. Right. But um, taking the mediation training, and if they want to do collaborative work, there's special training in that, and that would go beyond the regular training that they're getting there. What do you think, Carol? What do you suggest for people who are going into some child-centered type of um, counseling? What, what should they be doing, and do you encourage them as students at UCI? Absolutely. Um, you know, as Bev said, our training is still very traditional, you know, psychology, psychopathology-oriented, and family systems and so forth, all those dynamics, which is great to learn. But they would need to do extra training in mediation, uh, your classes at UCI, 
There, there are a lot of different places to get trained collaboratively. Um, our international academy, as well as our local uh, group and our state group, does require as part of membership that uh, the mental health people have worked at least five years in the field working with children and families but there's no reason that they couldn't go ahead and get some of that training and as Bev said a minute ago it would help them just simply working with parents and children because um, where there are people there is conflict <laughs> right and so those skills would be very beneficial for them in the therapeutic arena as well Tracy, so, you know, we don't think of the financial people, the certified financial planners, we don't think of them as being the right brain type stuff that we've been talking about, about conflict resolution and mediation. We think about the left brain, right? We think about the numbers in black and white. And, you know, I'm not saying that you're not, I'm giving you a hard time, but that, you know, that has been kind of like the the stereotype of the financial person but what if somebody is getting their financial degree and um or wants to become a cpa they're in accounting at uci what might you tell them how this might be a a career choice well first i would say go ahead and get your cpa designation or complete your you know get your business degree in finance and then complete all of your security licenses because you're going to need all of that background in order to do your job effectively in the collaborative process Um, and then if they enjoy working with people and they like to come up with different solutions think outside of the box brainstorm and they really love that kind of environment then it's, it's a great niche to go into because you're really helping people. Finances are very stressful in a divorce. And if you can help the people understand their entire situation and help them come up with productive solutions, the whole fear level goes down. I can see the anxiety go down in each client and it's very rewarding. Well, I want to thank everybody here who is from the Collaborative Divorce Solutions in Orange County. We've been speaking right here with John Denny, who is an attorney with Minyard Morris LP, and we've also been speaking here with Bev Jewell, a collaborative divorce coach with children, and Carol Hughes, who's been a family and child therapist. And we've also been speaking with Tracy McKenney, who is a CFP, a certified financial planner and certified divorce financial analyst. And last but not least, our attorney right here, uh, Sherry DeAntony, who's a collaborative divorce attorney and certified family law specialist, as is John Denny. And I want to thank you guys. You're terrific. And I hope that uh, we'll be able to get more people involved in the process. Thank you, Mari, for having us. We really appreciate it. All right. Well, this is terrific. You've been listening to Privacy Piracy. I'm your host, Mari Frank. Thank you for joining us at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org in the net. Join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy, where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and write us emails about your interest in privacy in the information age. Thank you. Good night. Lloyd, and good night to all of you collaborative, wonderful people. Stay private. Good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And this week we are so thrilled because the Orange County Sheriff's Department referred us to a wonderful person to interview, and his name is Russell Brammer. He is the executive director of the Rays Foundation, and he's been working in the field of services to children and families for 30 years. Thank you so much for joining us, Russell. Well, thanks for having me. 
Well, Russell, why don't you tell my audience, what is the Rays Foundation? Well, each county in California is called upon to have a child abuse prevention council. The Rays Foundation is the official child abuse prevention council for Orange County. In fact, our name used to be the Orange County Child Abuse Prevention Council. What does the foundation do? Our mandate is to raise public awareness about child abuse and to support the efforts of other agencies and organizations involved in the prevention of child abuse and to provide services and programs to strengthen and support families. We host a meeting the second Thursday of each month called the Prevent Child Abuse Network where agencies and individuals meet to discuss child abuse prevention efforts seek ways to minimize duplication of services, while at the same time trying to identify gaps in services to families. Well, why don't you give us your website? It's www.theraysfoundation.org. Be sure and put the in front of Ray's Foundation, theraysfoundation.org. Well, thank you so much. We're going to have you back next week, and you're going to tell us more about what you do and what we'll find on your website. So thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you. Thank you.